Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Lukaku is back for Chelsea, West Ham are top of the league and things are starting to look rather bleak for Arsenal again. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Alex Mott Hello. and Lewis Ambrose. Hello. So I don't know if anyone saw Gareth Bale's Q&A in The Guardian at the weekend, but <laughs> if you didn't you really oh, missed boy. out. I've, I've got some choice excerpts for you here actually, so uh, for the question what is your greatest fear, his answer was not being the best version of myself in football and in life. Not too bad I suppose. You can, you can sort of get with that one. Uh, what did you want to be when you were growing up? I just wanted to fulfil my potential. Bit weird. <laughs> Bit weird, that one. Um, who would play you in the film of your life? I wouldn't want anyone to play me, was his answer to that one. I mean, it's a shame that film's probably never going to be made because <laughs> yeah. he's a fascinating fella. <laughs> uh, but the best bit for me was him being asked what his favourite word is, to which he replied, I prefer a phrase, it's time to hashtag switch on. It's amazing how only a few words can say so much. Whenever I hear that phrase, I know it's time to put on my game face. So my question to you two is, are you ready to Sorry. hashtag switch on? <laughs> I'm ready to hashtag switch on, Dan, always. <laughs> are you ready to hashtag switch on, Lewis? <laughs> the impact of those words right now. Yeah. How could how could anybody not be? I can feel I can feel you positively fizzing at the other end of the microphone there. <laughs> I just I, I'm I feel like we've got a real insight how to into how Gareth Bale had such a, has had such a successful career. Mm. It's fantastic. Yeah, what a loss to the Premier League he is. Mm. Uh, but anyway, let's crack on and we'll start at the Emirates today where Chelsea made it two wins from two with a 2-0 victory over Arsenal on Super Sunday. Uh, Lewis, how did you feel watching this game as an Arsenal fan? Was it particularly frustrating that both goals came from Rhys James being essentially unmarked at the back post? Yeah, it just felt a bit like, you know, sometimes you're letting a goal like that the first time and you'd think that the team or the manager would adjust a little bit and figure out a way to make sure you at least don't let in exactly the same goal. If you make some sort of change and then there's space somewhere else, then maybe you have to figure that out on the fly a little bit. But to concede, yeah, pretty much a carbon copy of the same goal twice. And it could have been more than twice. I think Rhys James got in a couple of other times and maybe didn't pick the right pass or, or have a had a bad first touch so yeah it's frustrating definitely to to watch the team concede as I say two goals basically the carbon copy of each other mm. Do you think Arsenal got a bit better as the game wore on and you, you're taking any positives from that? Um, not really <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw um, I saw somebody on an Arsenal fan on Twitter that I follow and, and they said that it just reminded them of watching the Invincibles Um who used to quite often go one or two goals up by half time and then would just sort of stop and, and conserve their energy. And you could tell they just wanted the game to be over and, mm. and play like that for the second half and focus on next week and not give too much. Um, and that Chelsea reminded them a little bit of that, that sort of the game was comfortable and they were, I don't think Arsenal were worse in the second half. Um, but yeah, it, I, I don't think it was much of an improvement. Mm. How did you feel seeing that footage of, of some Arsenal fans berating Arteta through his car window after the game? It's just this boundary between sports people and whether or not they're people they are. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, no matter how bad a job anyone's doing, football fans, obviously we all care, but it's like you'd think Mikel Arteta's do, maybe not doing a great job on purpose. So he's putting Arsenal and out, out deliberately to lose the way people take it so personally. Um, obviously people are going to be upset, 
I don't know what people were expecting. The Champions League winners have just signed Romelu Lukaku and Arsenal yeah. finished eighth last season. I don't know what people thought Arsenal were going to be able to deliver at the weekend. Um, and <laughs> maybe a bit of realism is required if people are getting that angry about it. And didn't. I mean, maybe you don't see it coming a mile off and maybe you get to the ground and the atmosphere's going and you're a bit optimistic. But it, it couldn't have been a massive shock to anybody. It all just looks really performative to me. Mm, especially that uh, footage of the guy ranting and raving in his car that's been going around yeah. I think yeah, he's yeah. going to have an aneurysm he's, <laughs> he's not careful yeah. yeah yeah. all about those retweets and clicks then. indeed indeed uh, Alex uh, do you think it's fair that Mikel Arteta is coming in for criticism again so early in the season especially he's had to contend with a few of his starting players missing through injury and illness I think he said nine big players were missing yeah. for this game I mean that is a yeah. lot of players isn't it it is a lot of players but I, it's not just criticism from this season though is it I know it's early on but it's sort of bled over from the end of last season as well. Um, and I just don't really see how much longer he can stay in the job, to be honest. I, I think he was l- lucky to win. I mean, obviously, they won the FA Cup and congratulations to them. But, you know, in, in a certain respect, winning cup competitions is luck of the draw and, and whatever. But I think that's given him a bit of saving grace. But the performances, like, recently have just been dire for, for months, really. Maybe Lewis would because of better memory than me, but I can't remember the last time they played well. Maybe Chelsea away at the end of last season, but that's really the only one I could think of. I thought tactically they were all over the place on Sunday, especially in the first half. Um, like Lewis said, that that movement down the right of, of James was totally unmarked four, five, six times. And Arteta was so slow to react to it. And by the time he did, Chelsea were 2-0 up, obviously. So um, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I, I don't. I would be so, so, so frustrated if I was. And I, I don't really see how people can keep giving him the benefit of the doubt, to be honest. So mm. I really, really don't. Well, they've, they've spent a fair bit of money uh, yeah. this summer. And do, do you think they've done some good business, Lewis? If not now, then, then for the future, at least? Yeah, I think that's the main thing. And I think as an Arsenal fan, you look at, the previous few years and it probably ever since fallen out of the Champions League. So you're looking at sort of three or four years now and it feels like the, the clubs had this reputation for buying young players and developing players and that sort of fell by the wayside. And you look at going after Lacazette and then Aubameyang six months later signing Socrates to try and fix the defence or signing Lichstein as a, as a backup right back and all these, and it felt like lots of attempts at quick fixes, um, which really, really didn't pay off. And obviously, then players that age are seeing it now with with Aubameyang going through a bit of a decline, and there's no one to take Lacazette off the club's hands. You know, players that age, you you're just stuck with them. I mean, you've seen that at Man City, Dan. Um, mm. you, when you're paying the wages that you pay at a top Premier League club, no one's going to take these players off your hands when they're on the way down in their careers. So we've seen Arsenal have to pay Mesut Ozil to leave for free. Kolasinac probably now is going to be the same situation. Socrates was the same situation last year. Lacazette's now heading into the last 12 months of his contract. It needed to change. So I think these signings, I think, are quite promising. Maybe not for this season or for the start of this season, but the fact now that you look at that squad, and I think a few years ago you looked at an Arsenal team and you sort of thought, wow, in three years, basically none of the starting eleven is going to be the starting eleven anymore. And now you look at having Lukonga at the weekend, Ben White, 
Bakaya Saka, Mill Smith Rowe, Martinelli. There's at least a big amount of that team in three years is still going to be at the club and is going to be a lot better. Mm. Do you feel any sense of optimism that there's, you know, Man City away coming next week, which is going to be a tough test, but... Yeah, then loads the inter- of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> then you, but then you've got the international break, time to, you know, uh, refresh, recharge a little bit, get, get, get a few players back. Maybe after the international break, you might see some sort of turnaround as you did around Christmas time last year when, when Arsenal found a bit of form. Do, do you see that coming at, at some point in the, in the not too distant future? I hope so. I mean, it's obviously a really, really awful way to start the season. Go to Brentford and have these coronavirus mm. cases and be forced to not choose any senior forward. I mean, Martinelli played and he just got off a, a plane about two days earlier from Tokyo where he'd been for the best part of a month and must have still been jet-lagged. And Saka had, I think, had just a couple of training sessions, basically. Um played 20 minutes of pre-season pretty much and then suddenly had to play almost half that game. Balogun had never kicked a ball before in the Premier League and was starting up front. And then your next two games are against the Champions League winners and the Premier League title holders. Mm. So it's a really awful way to start the season. I think that does it doesn't excuse the way that Arsenal have started and the performances, but it puts it into perspective a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, losing Thomas Partey to injury in pre-season as well. I do think and I do hope that it will improve and yeah, around the corner, Norwich, Burnley, Derby against Tottenham, games like that coming up. That's where Arsenal are going to pick up points this season and people are kidding themselves if they thought Arsenal were were realistically going to beat Chelsea or or get anything against Man City next weekend probably as well. It it probably is just more the manner of the defeat that was more frustrating. Yeah, yeah. One more question on Arsenal before we move on. Why does Burn Leno keep wearing the away kit? What's what's the official explanation for that? I have no idea. <laughs> the long list of things wrong with this football club. <laughs> Goalkeeper in the away kit. It just doesn't sit, send out a good message to me. That I don't know why. It just it seems a bit. It seems a bit tin pot, doesn't it? And, uh, and so, so it proved. Yeah. This uh, like forgot to put the goalkeeper kit in the bag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my Sunday league. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Chelsea, uh, they spent a lot of money on bringing Romelu Lukaku back to the club this summer. Uh, he scored on his second debut. Gave Arsenal's defenders a pretty torrid time. Does it look to you like? That's going to be a theme of the season, Alex, and that his hold-up players significantly improved during his time in Italy? Yeah, I mean, I I was always impressed by him, even when he was at Everton, Man United. Um, but I think you can really see that working with Antonio Conte has sort of taken his game to a completely new level over the past couple of years, to be honest. I, I was thinking about it, watching the game. I don't think I've ever seen a Premier League player bully a set of defenders like Lukaku did at the weekend. I know the phrase men against boys gets bandied about a lot, but that was like really the purest sort of distillation of that phrase I can think of, especially at the top level. I mean, it was astonishing, really. And um, I don't want to get back to Arsenal, but I mean that in both sense, both from both sides, really. Like Lukaku looked unplayable, but Arsenal's defence just did not have an answer to any of the problems, only like the things that the problems that he posed and I mean it's not even like it's a new innovative way of playing it's literally Mm. the oldest trick of the book you play a ball into central striker try and hold off two defenders lay it off turn and run into the box I mean like John Toshak was doing that (laughs) for Liverpool back in the 70s you know what I mean so like there's nothing new it's just old-fashioned centre-forward play and Arsenal's defenders just did not know what to do so I'd I'd hold off a little bit with totally praising Lukaku because it was such an easy day for him but yeah, he looks. He he did look excellent, and he just looked totally confident. 
really clicked with uh, with the sort of three behind him. And you can see why Chelsea paid 100 million for him. I think he's a brilliant striker. But yeah, I'd maybe hold off on the total price for him until uh, till the next few weeks. I think. <laughs> I think you both tipped Man City for the title before the season began. Are you, are you sticking to that prediction or have you changed your mind yet? Um, I think I, I probably will stick with that, but I do think it'll be close. I think there'll probably be like three, four points in it. But yeah, Chelsea look... They look excellent. They they swatted Palace aside in the first game and did exactly the same for Arsenal. So yeah, they they do look excellent. It's going to be. It's, I think it's going to be a really good title race this season. Mm. For you, Lewis, what did you think of uh, Chelsea's title credentials now? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't rule out Liverpool, Man United. Either. Mm. I think any yeah. any of those four teams are capable of uh, of going on a sort of 10, 15 game winning run. And we've seen you know the last few years more often than not that will be more than enough to get you out ahead and, and probably win the title. I think any of those four teams are good enough to do it. Mm. Uh, quick one, just before we move on from this game, what did you both think of the penalty shout Arsenal had in the first half for, uh, I think it was Reese James fouling Saka, wasn't it? Um, I thought it was a pretty clear penalty, to be honest. On initial view, maybe not, but yeah, I'm surprised VAR didn't didn't pick that, to be honest. I thought, I thought it was a penalty. Mm. You, Lewis? I'm happy I didn't have to say that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it wasn't a penalty in that case then <laughs> just, just to play devil's advocate <laughs> uh, Liverpool welcomed fans back to Anfield with a 2-0 win over Burnley on Saturday uh, we've sort of touched on it already Lewis been watching this game I, I had a funny feeling that Liverpool are going to win the league this season not many people have tipped them for it would you go along with that do you think the Anfield crowd is going to really be a, be a, the X factor for them this season that they, they missed last year Maybe not the crowd, but just the players. Just mm-hmm. having Virgil van Dijk back and Ibrahim Kanate is obviously he's even played yet. Um, you know, I just think that they've got the squad. Diogo Jota's back, which means you've now got a player who can replace any of those front three if if he wants to rest or rotate any of them. And they don't look like they miss anyone in midfield either. I mean, Naby Keita's played the last couple of games. Ronaldo's obviously gone. I just think that we saw what two years ago Liverpool go and win the title with nine or well, two years in a row go ninety odd points over ninety points back to back. They're still the same team. They just last year had a bit of a bad year and lost a few crucial players when they ended up playing well almost half the season basically with the the guy who went into the season as the fifth or sixth choice centre back playing every single week. So. I think, you know, as soon as now Van Dijk's back, Joe Gomez and Canate are there, Matip's fit again, that's the the key, the really big thing. And they're still that same team, really, that won the league two seasons ago. So there's absolutely no way anyone can say that it's sort of rolling them out, I reckon. They're the same team and they've also got a point to prove. That's why I think I'm more worried about them this year than perhaps I was last year even, yeah. Uh, they've also got 18-year-old Harvey Elliott who made his full Premier League debut here and looked like a seasoned professional. Uh, it looks like Liverpool have got a real talent on their hands there, haven't they, Alex? Yeah, and like Lewis just said there, they don't look like they've missed Wijnaldum and I think part of mm. that is because of Harvey Elliott. I thought he he went into that midfield role really, really well. He looked, yeah, like you say, just looked like a totally seasoned pro. And I think that part of that is due to his loan at Blackburn last season. That's really improved this game. I think there were definitely times when I've seen him before at Blackburn last season and before that where he would try and take too many touches and try and hold onto the ball a bit too long. In the Championship, that 
gets kicked out of you within a month. And you can sort of see now that every time he got the ball, he was on the half turn. He was trying to be positive with it. He was taking just one or two touches. Um, I thought it was a really, really good performance. And yeah, Klopp said afterwards, I think, that how well he played. So <laughs> Klopp I was just laughing, wasn't well, he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays quite a lot this season, actually. I think he looks, he looks exceptional, he does. Mm. terrible haircut and beard <laughs> yeah yeah he'll have to sort that out yeah it's uh it's liverpool chelsea at anfield next saturday should be a cracking game how do you see that one going lewis particularly the battle between lukaku and van dyke i have absolutely no idea what to expect but <laughs> it's gonna be really good isn't yeah. it um i think yeah this got everything you want which means it will probably be you know boring and, and nil nil or whatever um <laughs> But it, the, both teams look absolutely at the top of their game again. And it's really early in the season for someone to sort of make that statement and say that, yeah, we're the team to beat. And I think both those sides, obviously, neither of them are the champions as, at the moment. So they'll both want to to lay down that marker, if you like. Mm, indeed. As for Burnley, they looked pretty good in parts of those games, I thought. But uh, are, are you surprised, Alex, that they, they haven't brought more players in since the new owners took over? This was supposed to be a summer of investment. It's yeah. Not really happened yet. Um, I don't know. That seems to just be the Sean Dyche way, really, doesn't it? I mm. think their, their entire scouting system is getting into a, into a car and either going to Middlesbrough or Stoke. And that <laughs> hasn't brought much fruit these past uh, few seasons. But... Yeah, I thought I thought they were pretty decent here as well. To be honest, the one of the, if I had one slight worry for them, it would be their defensive record, which isn't normally something you say about a Sean Dyche team. But that is now 15 games in a row where they haven't kept a clean sheet um, for a side that doesn't score many goals. I think that that would be a bit of a worry for me. I know. I don't know, you you just sort of have come to expect Burnley to stay up now, don't you, just because of the manager and just that's just the sort of team they are. But that would be a massive worry for me, I think. Not that the amount of goals that they're letting in and that could that many games. So yeah, I think that'd be that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Mm, they've been linked with uh, Will Hughes and Maxwell Cornet in recent yes. days, and uh, I suppose keeping hold of Dwight McNeil is pretty pretty yeah, big deal he, for he them. He was and... good. Yeah, he, he's always impressive. Actually, he's a sort of one player that adds a bit of spark to their attack in the final third, doesn't he? Yeah. So yeah, keeping hold of him would be big for them. And as many people noticed, they played uh, the shirt numbers one to eleven this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So Sean Dyche has clearly got his his best eleven nailed down already. <laughs> hasn't he? he doesn't need anyone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tottenham continued their solid starts season with a 1-0 win away at Wolves. Uh, Lewis, feel free to answer this one through gritted teeth, but how impressive has their start been? Considering, you know, the Harry Kane saga has been rumbling on in the background, do you feel like Nuno's done a good job of, of steadying the ship at Spurs? Hey, do you not see him lose in midweek? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's obviously a great start, six six from six, straight away. Um, and it's massive for, for Nuno, I think, to just sort of shut people up and you can imagine if they'd have lost to Man City and maybe lost again this weekend or, or got a draw at Wolves, everyone would be talking about Harry Kane and going on about the trouble they'd be in if he is sold or keeping him and he's unhappy. Is it causing a bit of a fuss at the training ground? I don't think they've, I don't think at the weekend they played particularly well, but obviously if you get the three points, that's all that people really care about. Mm. So I think it was it's really nice for them just to go into this sort of last week of the transfer window and people aren't talking about Kane and talking about what the club's going to do. And he can now quietly just sort of get on with his job and get on with 
whatever he wants to do and now focus obviously on making sure they are in Europe this season as well this week straight away. Mm. Delhi Ali won and scored the penalty for the winning goal. Uh, do you think he looks like a player with a new lease of life under Nuno Alex? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. I think um is anti marinified a phrase. Maybe we could uh, <laughs> start it here. Because that's really what's happened, isn't it? Like Marino's always De Marino'd. Yeah, you go. De Marino just good. He's like always got one of those players that he just sort of publicly vilifies and does a go on with. Obviously, Luke Shaw was that man at Man United and Ali's was that man at Spurs. I mm. think it sort of looks to me like Nuno wants to sort of put Ali in that number ten position and build things around him. And I think that's what he needs as a player, and that can only be a good thing, really. I think his if you look at his career, it's sort of crazy that if you were gonna sort of look after the twenty eighteen World Cup Deli Ali would 100% be in your England squad for the Euros, but when you looked at that Euro squad, he was nowhere near it. And quite rightly, his career has just totally like stalled over the past three seasons. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see him back playing regularly and smiling his face and confidence. And I think that's sort of what he needs: is an arm around the shoulder type, type of player. And yeah, I'd like to, Nuno seems like that sort of manager. So I think that can only be a good thing for Tottenham, really, because he, he is an excellent player when he when he wants to be. Yeah, he's not going to be coming off the pitch ranting about knocking it long and fucking defending again, <laughs> yeah, is he? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. no, I don't think. Uh, Kane, of course, made his first appearance of the season off the bench in this game. Um, Lewis, you, you sort of touched on it earlier. Um, it's, it's looking unlikely, that transfer to City uh, at the moment. It, if you're Daniel Levy, what do you do, even if a bid from City comes in of, say, £150 million? Is it even a good idea to accept that now, given how hard it's going to be to replace him, if at all possible, in the final days of the window? I think if you've got 150 million, you can always, you'll find a striker. You'll, you'll mm. find somebody that, that's on your shortlist that you can go and, you know, it's a lot of money to wave around. Um, and I think with, with Son there as well, there's goals that are obviously a problem without Kane in the team, but it's not like there's nobody. I think Son is, is brilliant, basically. And Tottenham are, Son signed a big new contract and Tottenham are in a position where I think not that many of this squad are are saleable assets if you want to put it like that like mm. I don't see if they want to sort of bring new players in January or, or now or next summer I don't know where that money comes from if they can't sell Harry Kane and I think not selling Harry Kane means basically the team will look like this for the next couple of seasons so I think it's a hell of a lot of money, 150 million. I could understand why they wouldn't accept it if that's what they were offered, but I still think that they wouldn't be wrong if they did sort of take that amount of money and try and turn it into something else. Mm. I find it incredibly weird that City have just put all their eggs in the Harry Kane basket like a spoilt child. Yeah. It's like Kane or nothing. Well, why don't you ask Spurs who they're planning to replace Kane with and then just buy that person? Save yourself <laughs> some money. <laughs> Everyone's a winner then, aren't they, really? I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Kane's a brilliant player and would be a brilliant signing for City. It's too much money, for, in my opinion, even yeah, considering agree, how yeah. much City have spent. But I just don't understand why they've not gone, all right, well, let's go for the plan B now because it's not going to happen, this, is it? Mm. Are they going to really yeah. cut the nose off to spite the face? It seems very strange to me. Um, Spurs one player they've been linked with is Wolves winger Adam Atraore would he be a good signing for them do you think Alex it'd be a lot of fun wouldn't it it would be but I'm not I don't know I'm not really sure I, he had a great game here obviously and I, he was sort of missed a great chance though didn't he he did yeah and yeah. I think that's part of the problem isn't it he's really 
the, the cliches about Adama Traore are cliches for a reason. He really isn't consistent enough in the final third. And I think if if Tottenham are, are serious about getting back into the top four, then they need players that are going to be consistent every week. And he's just not that person. Like, don't get me wrong. I think he's a good player and he'd be a good squad player for them. But I've, I saw yesterday like people quoting 40, 50 million for him, which mm. I think is just absolutely mad. I think if they were going to get him for 15, 20, and they'd, you know... They could use him as a squad player, fine, but I'm not sure he's what they need, to be honest. They, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't think he'd be a great signing for them. Mm. Right. And they've got Stephen Bergwijn back in great form exactly, as well. Yeah, and he he's played really well. Yeah, another one who drifted a bit under Mourinho, didn't he? Really looks yeah. like he's uh, back to his best now. Uh, Wolves, they've scored just 36 goals last season. They've now had 42 shots without scoring this season. Uh, even with Raúl Jiménez back, do you see goals being a bit of an issue for them again this season, Lewis? Yeah, Alex obviously just touched on Adama Traore, who is so, so threatening until he gets anywhere near the goal or (laughs) he has to deliver a cross or pick someone out or obviously have a dig himself. Yeah, you you look at him and you think defence is just, there's not a defence in the league that can handle him, but he does beat his man and then beat another man and then beat another man and then it's a goal kick, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I think Pedro Neto was really impressive last season. Um, but I think he's injured at the moment. Yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. yeah, without him, and obviously Jimenez has suffered a horrific injury. And even if he he recaptures his form, you don't you never know how long that might take. Uh, somebody to put the ball in. It's basically as simple as it gets, isn't it? But somebody who does get on the end of things and put the ball in the back of the net is the main problem. And then at the other end of the pitch, the question is, I think they, they didn't play very exciting football really under under Nuno. And the question is, if they're pushing the ball out more to create a few more chances, are they able to keep that solidity at the back or are they going to they gonna be more holes mm. for other teams to exploit at the other end? Yeah, and I think it's reasonable to expect that Raul Jimenez might not be the player he was before he got that yeah. fractured skull as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing that headband now, isn't he, to head the ball with because he can't even uh, can't even head the ball without protective yeah. gear now. So that's going to take uh, have an impact on you. But yeah, they, they do look a little bit more uh, interested and exciting to watch under under Bruno Large in the early stages for me. They've gone a bit stale under Nuno, I think, and it is it is good to see. But uh, yeah, I think Pedro Neto is going to be key to them. He was their top scorer last season with like five goals. I think. Was he? So, yeah, yeah, so so yeah, shows you exactly where they need to improve. Uh, Manchester City got their season up and running with a 5-0 thrashing of Norwich on Saturday. Gabriel Jesus had a brilliant game out on the wing here, had a hand in three of the goals. Um, City have got a few players who can play in different positions along the front line. I'd say at least probably five or six of them could probably play kind of a false nine. Does that suggest they might still have enough firepower this season, even if they aren't able to sign Kane or another striker? Um, I mean, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, are they? I think Man City do have a lot of firepower, but I also think they'd be better with Harry Kane up front. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd get too carried away with this performance. Uh, Obviously, Gabriel Jesus was exceptional and it was an interesting, like, sort of new position for him. But, um, I don't know. Norwich, as Fark admitted afterwards, like, let in the same goal four times. (laughs) I think think that that says much more about Norwich than it does about City. Um, Apparently they spent all week practising defending against that kind of goal as well. Okay, (laughs) then, yeah, that's that's definitely a big worry. But, yeah, it was was a really interesting new position for Gabriel Jesus. I think that would be interesting to see if that carries on or whether, because obviously Pep was very effusive in his praise after the game, whether that was just a buttering up to then sell him to someone 
in the last week of the transfer Pep wouldn't window. do such a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insert quote about Sergio Aguero here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they've already spent £100 million on Jack Grealish. He got his first goal for the club in this game. I uh, didn't know an awful lot about it. Went off his, off his knee. Um, what did you make of that signing, Lewis? Did City need Jack Grealish and, and is he worth that kind of money for you? I, I don't know. Well, obviously City won the league last season without Jack Grealish. So mm. whether or not they needed him, I don't know. <laughs> I think it is obviously a hell of a lot of money. I do think he's sort of the right player or the right type of player for City. Because I think when I watch Man City, and we all know with Guardiola how choreographed everything is. And I think a player that delivers so much more off the cuff. And, and we've just talked about those goals at the weekend, four goals looking almost exactly the same as each other. And I think that's what Grealish offers that maybe wasn't quite there last season or the last couple of seasons. Probably since David Silva left is a player that completely operates sort of independent of the team and the plan a little bit. And I think that's exactly what Guardiola needs in his teams as well sometimes because he can get a little bit bogged down in trying to orchestrate everything um, precisely. So I think it wasn't the wrong thing to do. And if City were going to spend £100 on a player, I think that Grealish makes... A hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I really like that signing. I think he's, uh, like you say, he's a very exciting player who gets people off the seats and seems like a pretty stand-up, funny kind of guy, which I like about him. And I didn't really mind them paying that amount of money for him, really, because I think I think it was just the only way to get that transfer done. He had that release clause, and it's a bit like uh, you know when you buy something on eBay and you can either bid for it or there's like a buy it now price. And it was like <laughs> if we if we bid for it, we ain't gonna get him, yeah. so we'll just we'll just pay the buy it now price and it's done. I don't know if it's still like that on eBay. I've not bought anything. <laughs> on there for years but but yeah I was pleased with that one whereas the Kane one I kind of think 150 million it's just too much money don't do it just do anything else or, or just save you money for try and get Erling Haaland next summer or something that seems like more logical to me but uh, as for Norwich it's, it's still early days for them they've had two horror fixtures to start but they were really bad here like shockingly bad I think it's probably one of the worst away performances I've seen at the Etihad for quite a while um, do you think we should read much into that at this stage of the season Alex? Um I don't want to make sweeping judgments after two games, but yeah, you're right. They were terrible. Um, but having said that, I do appreciate the way that Fark sets up his sides. And I, and I do like the fact that they don't divert too much away from the, their game plan, no matter who they're playing against. Um, but yeah, this was this was really dire. I think I, you can sort of give them a free pass. These past two games have been quite difficult for them, but... I think after the international break, it is, sorry, I wrote this down, it is Watford, Everton, Burnley and Brighton for straight weekends. And I think we'll really know after that whether Norwich or where they are in the pecking order of the season, I think. Yeah, if they if they struggle in those four games, then yeah, then I would really start to worry for them, to yeah. be honest. I know it's obviously, that they're a really well-run club out there, Norwich, and this game, it's a David versus Goliath in terms of finances and all that kind of thing. I'm not I'm not having a go at them, but just that some of the defending was really amateurish. They offered nothing going forward. I think they had one shot off target in the whole game. Yeah. Um, so I, I do fear for them a bit. I mean, my theory, I don't know if you, you agree with this, that maybe they have a squad and a manager that's built to win a championship title but not built to for a survival bid in the I think that's probably yeah I think that's probably fair I mean I, there was a very odd Jamie O'Hara comment on talk sport yesterday I don't that's not like him that. is it sure. no no <laughs> saying that um he thinks that Norwich should have their um sort of their um I what the word what's the word I'm looking for they're like um 
ability to play in the Premier League revoked um, <laughs> if they if they keep playing like this and they should just uh, be sent back down to the Championship permanently forever so what if, if they yeah. win the league they just don't get promoted well, anymore, exactly that's <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's what he said um, I'm not sure I'd go quite that far but um, <laughs> not no, a they, sensible yeah, they, suggestion from yeah <laughs> They weren't great here, um, but yeah, like I say, it's those next four games after the international break where we where we can really judge them. I think. Yeah, we'll come back to that one. Uh, Manchester United could only manage a one-one draw at Southampton on Sunday. That's twenty-seven Premier League away games unbeaten for United now, uh, but they drew eleven games last season. Uh, is it fair to say these are the sort of games they they have to be winning if they want to compete for the title, Lewis? Yeah, I think these games mean less than. The, the games against City and Liverpool and Chelsea. I think everybody will drop points occasionally, a bit like this one. Um, if United, obviously, when they come up against Liverpool, for example, if they beat them, then they've made up for this, more than made up for it. So it, you're obviously going to have to win these games more often than not, but I don't think it's the nail in the coffin. Mm. Having watched Jadon Sancho closely during his time at Dortmund, are you expecting him to, to have a transformative effect on this United side this season? Yeah, I think so. I think he, once he gets going, uh, he'll be pretty much unstoppable. Goals, assists, taking people on, drawing three, four defenders towards him at a time. And when you're looking at Man United, you think that Pogba's already a player who drags defenders towards him and Bruno Fernandes as well. And suddenly just going to mean more and more space for the likes of Rashford or Cavani or whoever else is playing up front. Mason Greenwood started the season really well. Mm. More space, more time for any of those players is just going to be, I mean, Do you think, sorry, impossible to defend. Do you think he's in the wrong team though? Because how, like for three years now, we've seen Man United be brilliant on the counter-attack when teams go at them. But like I haven't seen anything over the past couple of seasons that suggests that they can break down teams with a low block who, who are sort of scrapping hard for points or whatever. And I just, I don't know, I wonder if Sancho is going to be that good in this Man United team. I'm not saying he's not a brilliant player, but I just, I don't know, I have, I have a bit of a worry that he, he might struggle in this United team, to be honest. I think they'll be. I, I I get that completely. I think they'll be hoping that he's the guy that, he that is fixes that, person. that yeah. problem yeah, for, of not yeah. breaking teams down. And I think to have him and Bruno Fernandez in combination, and and both, and Bruno Fernandez gets into areas brilliantly for a midfielder, getting on the edge of the end of things in the box. But I think the responsibility for creating things was so much on him last season as well. Um, if Pogba's in this form and if Sancho's creating yeah. things as well then it frees up him to get in the box a little bit more and yeah. I think they'll be hoping rightly or wrongly I don't know if it'll pay off and I thought they were a lot worse after Fred came off the other day because they just couldn't they didn't have anyone like harassing Southampton to quickly yeah. win the ball back like when he was on the pitch and that's maybe where the focus should have been this summer to sign somebody who does that job but better um, but I do think Sancho could be a like if not the key sort of a massive move towards being able to break those teams down. Yeah, I, I do think that's a huge weakness of theirs this season and something that I I still I something has obviously happened with Donny van der Beek and no one's sure what, but I sort of can't believe Man United are gonna go into this season as you would they want to be legitimate title contenders with that midfield. How, like, how yeah, can Matic, yeah. Fred, and McTominay be three like your three central midfielders? The fact I think that that's... two of those are going to start 
every game this season yeah when they found 85 million or whatever it was to buy Sancho doesn't yeah. make much sense to me I think that's such a huge obvious weakness that I, ca- I can't really take them seriously as title contenders especially when you've got someone like Basuma at Brighton who I think is one of the most underrated players in the league probably not that underrated anymore I think people do rate him but Brighton have openly said that they'll accept 40 million for him that's nothing to Man United and he's there for the taking and sort of nobody nobody's going for him so yeah I I, I, I just don't really take Man United seriously as defense, <laughs> to be honest I, I wonder if they're banking a bit on Rafael Varane being so good in defence that almost the midfield is, is not <laughs> right, that important well, yeah maybe <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how that goes. I'm taking them seriously as title contenders. I'll, I'll say that. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was unhappy with what he thought was a foul on Bruno Fernandes in the build-up to Southampton's goal. He suggested afterwards that football was like basketball last season and now it's turning into rugby. Uh, do you agree, Alex? Have we have we gone from one extreme to the other? Um, honestly, I couldn't disagree anymore with this. <laughs> I, I know Klopp had the same moan on Saturday as well. But that I just that's just big club managers moaning for moaning's sake, as far as I can see. And in fact, it was their incessant moaning about decisions that led to VAR in the first place, <laughs> which has then in turn led to this new reading of the law. So I think we all know they're never going to stop moaning. I, I do personally, this is never going to happen, but there needs to be some sort of moratorium on asking managers about decisions after games because it's so boring. <laughs> um, there was no controversy here. That's never been a foul on Fernandez. But, I mean, in some ways, it's clever from Solskjaer in that we're now focusing on this rather than focusing on his starting eleven, which is which was a mistake, and the tactics in the last half an hour, which he got really badly wrong. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't a foul. And, yeah, I just... No, I, I, just I totally agree with you. Yeah. Not being a foul, yeah, I don't understand the, the controversy at all. I did enjoy Klopp calling out a journalist in his press conference after after Liverpool's game for the most Yadar opinion the probably is in football, <laughs> which is when people say that goalkeepers get too much protection. I've always thought that was nonsense. No, they don't. They're just not allowed to be fouled. <laughs> it's simple as that, because they were talking about the, the Arsenal goal against Brentford the other week. And this guy was like, oh, back in the 70s, goalkeepers oh, okay, were allowed, right, yeah. you were allowed to challenge the goalkeeper. And Klopp was like, well, would you drive a car in th- that you would have in the 70s? Like, things have changed. Like, it's, it's not the same world. It's spot on, I thought. Um, speaking of speaking of managers, what did you think of Ralph Hasenhutl's touchline attire in this game? I mean, no. I wasn't a fan, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I know they're a bit, uh, a bit more out there in the Bundesliga, but I'm... Um, um, uh, yeah, for, for the Premier League, I want tracksuits or suits, nothing in between. <laughs> well, it was at a wedding. It was, it was the waistcoat and the trainers. Yeah, just, yeah. No, he was at the no. wedding and he, he'd always been sick in his shoes and had to change <laughs> yeah. into his trainers or something, hadn't he? <laughs> <laughs> the, his wedding shoes aren't comfortable to drive in, so he's quite yeah, yeah, around yeah. in the trainers. <laughs> at least he ditched the waistcoat for the second half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, do you like what you've seen of, of 18 year old Tino Livramento so far, Lewis? He had a good game here. Yeah, you can see why Chelsea didn't want to lose him and why he left thinking that he's ready for first-team football because he looks more than ready to to play in the Premier League every week. And it's so much better for his development too to be playing for Southampton every week than, I don't know, maybe making two League Cup appearances for Chelsea this season. So um, I'm happy for him that he's managed to go somewhere where he's going to play football and he slotted right in there perfectly straight away mm. yeah I, th- I think as far as I'm aware Chelsea have got a buyback clause of about 25 million which I think by the end of the season that could look like pocket change really I thought, yeah. it, was, yeah, I thought he was excellent 
Indeed. Uh, Southampton have now dropped 28 points from winning positions since the start of last season, more than any other team during that time. Um, after this game, I'm a bit less worried about them than I was last week, Alex, but can, can you see this being a long season for them with a potential relegation um, battle or, or do you think they'll be no, okay? I don't, no, I don't, no, no, I don't think that at all, actually. I thought they, certainly in the final 20 minutes, I thought they rallied really well and looked sort of suggested to me that they're a side on the up, really. And mm. I really like Armstrong. I think he's a great sign, and he did really well at Blackburn last year. If, if, it, if memory serves, he was a championship's top goal scorer. Second Black- top goal scorer, okay. I think, yeah. But you got which, 28 um, goals, so it's not bad. Right, yeah, yeah. And in, in that Blackburn side, which is, yeah, which is an impressive feat. And it seems like him and Adams have already struck up a bit of an understanding. And I think playing two up top, two proper old-fashioned strikers up top now is quite rare so it'd be, it, I think Premier League defenders might struggle against that um, yeah like yeah they've got this really good understanding already after two weeks which is impressive I like Ward Prowse he's obviously signed a new contract he's yeah, clearly very dangerous in dead balls um, and yeah like we just said Livermore looks like a really good sign at right back so I think they've got a basis of a very good team now I think they'll they'll do well against the good clubs sort of beat the teams around them more often than not yeah I, I don't think they'll be getting Europe or anything like that but no I don't think they'll be uh, don't think they'll struggle at all to be honest mm. well it's obviously far too early to take note of the league table but West Ham are top of it uh, congratulations to them thanks to a 4-1 <laughs> win over Leicester at the London Stadium on Monday night uh, Mikel Antonio's two goals here mean he's now surpassed Paolo Di Canio to become the Hammers all-time leading Premier League goal scorer with 49 uh, he used to look like a right back playing up front but now he's got the number nine on his back and he's a he's a proper Premier League striker isn't he Lewis yeah like a an old-fashioned centre-forward. I think Antonio shows how, not how easy it is, but how little you you need to have to be a striker. Like, he's a good finisher. He is strong and quick. He moves well, but he just does not give up anything. He goes in head first, feet first, whatever, gets on the end of things. He hassles defenders. And I think so many strikers even in the Premier League, could learn from that just by putting that amount of that amount of effort into their game. They can add so much more to their team and add five, six goals a season. He's absolutely brilliant. And it's a shame that he's 31 because if this sort of development as a centre-forward had come a few years ago, then I think we'd be seeing him in the England squad. Mm, yeah. Uh, that that's, uh, first goal of his was great, the turn mm. and the finish. That was sort yeah. of Lukaku-esque stuff, wasn't it? And I thought the touch for the second one was brilliant as well. But it was kind of like, it was a great touch and then a sort of like scrappy finish, which just seems to be like the archetypal Antonio goal, really. <laughs> yeah. Everything's a little bit scrappy. His touches <laughs> yeah. are always a little bit off, but he always makes but it. Gets it's it always, done, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, he might also be the only player in the Premier League who could celebrate with the card co- cardboard cutout of themselves <laughs> and it not like come across weird it's still quite endearing isn't it I really enjoyed that about him um, Alex are you surprised by how well West Ham have started this season and can you can see can you see them maintaining it because I wondered if they might quickly kind of revert to the mean after the heights they hit last season I I am surprised and I'm sort of not at the same time I, what last season what I thought about last season was they were one of the few teams that really um, a positive for them was it being behind closed doors Um mm because that stadium can turn very quickly and those fans can turn very quickly. Um, but I think they've sort of gathered enough momentum now that if, like I think Moy said after the game, didn't he, this, it felt like Upton Park. Mm. And I think if, if it can feel like that and it can start to feel like home, then they could 
certainly repeat what they did last season. I I personally don't think they will. I think they might sort of revert to the mean a bit more and finish mid-table. But, um, I mean, when you look at that team, it's very impressive on paper, certainly the spine of it. And, you know, four now seems to really sort of got used to the Premier League now and the rhythms rhythms of it. Ben Rama the same. Mm. Um yeah, I think they're a great team. It's yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see where, if they can keep it up and whether that crowd can keep getting behind them because that, yeah. that is what they need. And I think when the Europa League gets going, that's going to be yes tough yeah. for them to juggle as well, isn't it? Yeah. We'll, we'll see what the what they're made of then. Ayoso Perez was, was shown the first red card of the season in this game, and Leicester's players really weren't happy about it. Do you think they had any right to be annoyed, Lewis? I see where they're coming from because I think it's a complete accident. Mm. But it just looks so, so awful that I don't think the ref, and especially nowadays with I don't think that you've got any choice. I think you, it's it's really unfortunate and it's not on purpose, but you just sort of have to send him off. So I I can see where they're coming from, but I don't think the refs made the mistake to to send him off either. Yeah, agreed. He was he was he was kind of nudged into it, wasn't he? But still, if you kind of plant yeah, plant in, your foot in someone's ankle, not a, intent's not a thing anymore. If mm. you know, no, exactly. You can't you can't take that into account. So yeah, it's a red card. All day it's now. not like one of those we saw for West Ham against Chelsea last season. I think it was was it Balbuena when he was like slowed oh, down yes. and, it, and yeah, he sort of yeah, like yeah. kicked and followed through. It's not one of them, is it? It's a, it's reckless play. Yeah, um, totally. So yeah, red card for me. Uh, Alex, you said to me during this game that Jamie Vardy's in the autumn of his career. Could you explain to the listeners what you meant by that? Um, well, he's 34. Um, he's he's certainly not going to... I'm nearly ask. 34. Am I in the autumn <laughs> of my career? You're not a Premier League striker, Dad, to be fair. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, I just thought he looked he looked his age last night. I, I just don't think that he can sort of cut it at the top, top level for much longer. And I think Leicester probably know that as well, which is why they bought Pats and Dakar over the summer. Um, I just don't think that... I think this is the season that they'll try and rely on Vardy and he won't score the goals. Um, and I think that could be their undoing and will mean that they won't finish in and around the European places like mm. they did last season. And yeah, I think, I think they're going to struggle because of that this year. We'll see. Uh, Everton continued their decent start to the season with a 2-2 draw away at Leeds. Damare Gray's goal here meant he became the 34th player in Premier League history to score both for and against Everton, which I thought was a pretty mad stat. Uh, like an enormous number. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. How have they had yeah. that many players even? Uh, Lewis, uh, you'll, you'll have seen a bit of Gray uh, during his time at Bayer Leverkusen. Do you think he's come back a more mature player than when he was at Leicester, perhaps? I think maybe maybe not as a player. I don't think he's changed too much, but I think as a person, it just changed. It helps. Mm. It helps you develop. You're away from home, and you know, sort of fend for yourself a little bit. Those comforts aren't there, and I think that's the sort of thing that players always talk about in particular. And if there is a change in him, then I think it's maybe more that more off field than on field. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, he took his goal really well here. Celebration needs a bit of work. Uh, he sort of nearly <laughs> yeah. broke his kneecap or yeah. something sliding. There were no from... cardboard cutouts available. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Everton defended on both goals wasn't great here. Michael Keane made a similar mistake to the one he made last week for the for the first goal. Do you think central defence is an area they need to, they need to strengthen before the window closes, Alex? Um, I think I, th- I think on paper, if you look at. Yeri Mina, Ben Godfrey, Michael Keane, and tries to remember Mason Holgate. Holgate yeah. That's that's four pretty decent options. Um, I mean, I really like Godfrey, but I think he probably needs to play with someone slightly less hot-headed beside him than Yeri Mina. Um, 
I don't know, maybe you could look look at someone like Johnny Evans, but then why would he leave Leicester, I suppose? Yeah. But then Everton aren't really spending money right now like they were before. Um, someone who I really like, or I think would be great at Everton, is Ben Cabango at Swansea. He's a player that I think is really, really good. And I have seen him linked with them in the past. But again, Swansea don't really need to sell and Everton aren't spending money at the moment. So it's going to be difficult for them to find a sort of cheap option who can who can come in and be that fourth centre-back at the moment. But yeah. um, I, I've been impressed with Everton so far this season. I, I was a bit sceptical about Rafa Benitez going there, but it seems to me, I obviously only two games in, but the players seem to have bought into it. Um, and I think that's... That's a huge thing. I know Carlo Ancelotti was never a good fit for them. And as I know, Benitez just sort of, he just seems to, obviously he gets it being on Merseyside, but I don't know. I just think everyone around the club seems to have bought into it, which can only help them really. If, you know, if they go in the same direction, then they can, yeah, I think they can do things this season. Actually, yeah. That's definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah. <laughs> that could change quite quickly. Well, that's I true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Leeds' equaliser in this game came courtesy of a lovely strike from Rafinha. Uh, are you surprised he hasn't been the subject of transfer speculation really this summer, Lewis? I thought he might be one that uh, a few big clubs would be sniffing around. Yeah, a little bit. He was brilliant, wasn't he, last season for them already? Uh, Leeds have done a really good job of all their players. I don't know if they, they've just completely not entertained any offers for anyone but there's a few players there, Bamford and Calvin Phillips, obviously, that you'd think other clubs could maybe be sniffing around and bring in to to improve higher up the table even. But there doesn't seem to have been any interest or, or rumours surrounding any of them. So maybe that's something we'll see next summer. But for now, I think it's really exciting for Leeds that all the fans are back at Ellen Road and they've got this brilliant team to watch and nobody's been picked off. Mm. It's weird to see the fans at Ellen Road more than any other stadium, I think. Cause I got, agree, yeah. Because we're not used to it, are we? Like, it's just... Uh... It was it was definitely the one this weekend where I thought, oh, there's there's lots of fans yeah. there. It looks a lot different. Yeah, yeah I think I think that could be a big big reason for Leeds doing well this season, actually. Yeah, I think they'll really feed off that energy from the crowd yeah. as long as it stays positive. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Aston Villa got their first win of the season when they beat Newcastle 2-0 on Saturday. That Danny Ings goal, Alex, mm. is it too early to be an early contender for goal of the season? I don't think it is, to be honest. I, <laughs> is it not going to get get forgotten in the annals of no, time? Maybe, yeah, maybe. There's a bit of recency bias for those sorts of things, isn't there, at yeah. the end of the season? But I thought it was fantastic. And I think it's a fantastic goal from one of my favourite strikers in the Premier League, actually. I think mm. um, when that signing was announced over the summer, most people, I mean, I certainly was, was surprised. But, you know, it came out of nowhere, but thought, oh, that's a great signing. Um, I think... Ings's conversion rate, I wrote this down actually, was in the top two from open play last season. Only Son scored more, so his conversion rate was better than Ings. Mm. Um, I mean, and to score that many in that Southampton side, which didn't didn't create a huge amount of chances for him, was was fantastic. I think for Villa to get him is sort of amazing, really. I, I really thought Ings could have gone to... Tottenham or if United were looking for a Martial replacement he, the Ings would have been a good op- a good option I think Villa have done really really well there. I would have took him at City yeah, I totally, would have yeah. I think yeah. he's excellent um, and and I think Dean Smith um, after the game mentioned they've brought in a set piece coach as well <laughs> and that was one of the things that they were looking at that, one of the goals that came straight off the training ground that goal so yeah that's something to keep an eye for this season definitely but yeah I love Danny because I think him and him and Ollie Watkins could work really well together I think um, obviously they hit a bit of a, 
uh, to start. It didn't start great against Watford last time, but um, yeah, they were really impressive there. And yeah, Danny yeah. is is good to see him get off get off the mark pretty early. I'm glad you mentioned set piece coaches because there's been a lot of chat about them this <laughs> yeah. weekend. Uh, Danny Murphy has made his thoughts about them very clear yes. in, in at least two mediums, I think, on Match of Eight <laughs> and on Talksport. I just saw a Talksport video yesterday, and Danny Murphy spent the entire time talking about how useful it is to have a coach that can do a specific thing and how it's really important that you're good at set pieces. But at the same time, we're saying that it's nonsense to have a set piece coach. It's like, it, this doesn't make any sense. Of, I yeah. think he, his idea was like, well, what's the manager doing? Yeah. The manager's hiring a set piece coach so he can just be lazy and go and play golf or something. <laughs> Not because the set piece coach, I don't know, maybe knows what he's doing on set pieces. Really yeah. weird. There was a very, we didn't do this kind of thing in my day kind of attitude yes. going on there as well yeah. wasn't there I think people just say these things for the sake of controversy sometimes don't they really or to seem a bit curmudgeonly is like their idea of having a personality really mm. it's a bit a bit of a strange take on it where, where do you stand on the set piece coach debate Alex are you are you on Murphy's on, on the side I mean, of Murphy's law certainly not no I think why wouldn't you if you can employ <laughs> someone say you employ a set piece coach for 200 grand a year, which in football terms is not a huge amount of money. If that earns you four goals from a set piece and you get 12 extra points from that over a season, that is, that is the bargain of the season, isn't it? So I don't see why you wouldn't employ coaches for every specific role on, on a football pitch. It's just, yeah, just why not? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work for you and move on. I just, yeah, that's Danny, the uh, Danny Murphy thinking there is very, very odd. <laughs> I'd, l- I'd love to see what the actual uh, set-piece coach session entails, though. Like, is it like you throw it long, Ings flicks it on, you do a bicycle kick into the yeah, bottom corner? I mean, I, Simple I guess, as that. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, Steve Bruce tries, uh, tries to put a brave face on this Newcastle performance. Um, not, not a very... Brave, uh, good at putting brave faces on. Usually, is he? And they, they were awful by all accounts. Here, uh, are they perhaps the Premier League team who appear to have progressed least since last season for you, Alex? Um, I think Arsenal might have a might have something to say about that. But um, yeah, I, I guess Newcastle don't really have the excuse of nine players being out. To be honest, yeah, um, yeah I thought they were totally outplayed here. I think they had one shot on target and didn't really offer anything, despite Sam Maximan, Wilson, Almiron, and Willock all being on the pitch at the same same all being on the pitch at the same time at one point. Um, I like Steve Bruce. He seems like a nice guy, but yeah, I think it's going to be a long season for Newcastle, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, well, Brighton are flying high in third place, uh, thanks to a 2-0 win over Watford. Lewis, uh, you've always been a firm believer in Brighton's potential. Do, do you think we're going to see it come to fruition this season based on what we've seen so far? I hope so. I think there's, for a couple of years now, they have been a really good side and and we talked about it over and over again last year about how well they played and it felt like every week they played really well and didn't get the points. Um, I, I don't think much has changed, to be honest. I think they're just, at the moment anyway, the ball's going in and it's not going in at the other end. And I think in terms of the 11 players and going out and playing, I think they're basically playing as well as they played last season, maybe just a little bit more lucky. Um and that's sometimes, I guess, that's all there is to it. I'd just be interesting to see how long it lasts and if they can keep it up. Mm. It's sort of right now, as long as we're only a few games into the season, you're wondering, is this the real Brighton? Or was what we saw for a lot of last season the real Brighton, the, the Brighton that misses chances and can't manage to find sort of that one big chance a game? 
I, I think and I hope that this is the real Brighton and that little bit more luck is all that was missing, but time will tell. Yeah, I think it's Graham Potter's beard. I think that's added an extra air of authority to his, to his, to his team talks or something. People are really taking him seriously for once. Uh, I've seen some people suggesting, Alex, that Watford really missed Will Hughes in this game. He's been linked with Burnley and Palace in recent days, hasn't played for them yet this season. I mean, he was really good from the Championship last year. Do you think he'll be a big loss to Watford if he goes? Yeah, I think you might be right, to be honest. Um, I mean, I haven't, I've only seen like bits of both Watford games, but as far as I've seen, the Peter Tabo, the new signing, looks like a pretty decent ball winner in the base of their midfield. But I think his range of passing isn't quite... Uh, Hughes's level and uh, the same with Imran Lauser, loser they've also brought in Loser's um, not a good name is it? <laughs> yeah um, he, his, he didn't look amazing at the weekend I think his sort of connection with Tom Cleverley wasn't yeah wasn't particularly there so I think if Hughes does leave that would need rectifying pretty quickly I'm sure they can find someone at Udinese to come in last minute but um, yeah, what's Gerard Delafeo up to? <laughs> yes yeah, yeah I think yeah that'd be a big loss for them actually yeah. Uh, well, lastly, we come to Selhurst Park, where newly promoted Brentford held Crystal Palace to a goalless draw. Uh, Conor Gallagher was really good in his Palace debut here. Uh, were you impressed with him uh, for West Brom last season, Lewis? And, and do you see him being an influential player for Palace this season? Yeah, I mean, the Palace obviously have moved on in midfield with with MacArthur leaving and Milivojevic is getting well on now. How long has he been there at Palace playing every single week, it feels like? Scoring a penalty so, every game, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. 15 goal a season without ever going <laughs> in the box. Um, yeah, so I think that obviously a lot of their team needed refreshing and I think it's a really smart sign the guy who played in the Premier League for a really poor team last season but looked all right. And I don't think it's sort of going to set the world alight and I don't think Palace are this season either, but a solid Premier League player who can be dependable and, and play every week. I think it's a pretty good signing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, uh, it's been a very decent start for Brentford. Alex, are you are you a fan of oh. their manager Thomas Frank? And do you think he's got the tactical nous to keep them in the Premier League? I think he's brilliant. Um, he was exceptional. In the, well, he has been exceptional in the Championship over the past few seasons. Um, we saw from their win against Arsenal that he certainly knows how to set up a side to beat a specific opponent. I think that's one of his big big strengths. Um, He's not so dogmatic in the way Brentford play, even though they do play a certain type of football. They know how to sort of change it up against different opponents. Um, and you can also just sort of tell he knows, he gets the club, you know, he gets the ethos, he gets the fans, he gets what it means to, to be, you know, be at Brentford. Um, they've had two London derbies, well, London derbies and in inverted commas in two weeks now. So, um, yeah, going to Villa, I think they've got Villa this weekend at Villa Park. So that's going to be a really interesting mm. test to see where they are because I think Villa are the sort of club that they're aiming to be, really. You know, Villa came up two years ago, stayed in the Premier League, have gone to the next level. That's where Brentford want to be. So, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting game on Saturday, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd wanted Brentford to come up for a couple of years and I'm, yeah. I'm really glad to have them here. Really looking yeah. forward to seeing what they can do. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast. Thanks to Alex and Lewis for joining me and thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with any of our podcasts, you could email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. We'll be back next Monday, so hopefully catch you then.